The Crux of the Matter, Episode 63, Pastoral Care and Politics. Hi, and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott, how are you doing today? Doing doing just fine. Yeah, yeah, how about you? Sound like you still have a little bit of the bronchitis from yep. before. Just enough, just enough to be annoying. That pretty much sums yeah. it up. We actually have a absolutely bizarre thing going on here outside, and that is that it's raining. I think this may oh. be the first time in like four months or something. So I'm kind of enjoying that, frankly. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was in Seattle recently and it was cool and rainy and actually it didn't, I didn't mind it for the first day. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. going to St. Louis next week for my class. You know, I have this uh, intensive that I'm taking and, uh, and the first day I'm in St. Louis, it's supposed to be 90. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. And then by the, end, by the end of the week, it's supposed to be like, I don't know, 59 or something. So mm. I haven't figured out what to uh, what to bring yet. I may have to bring a, a beginning of the week suitcase and an end of the week suitcase. Yeah, sure. yeah. You're going to need sweaters and shorts. Yep, pretty much. So what are you uh, what are you teaching and or learning nowadays, pray tell? Well, this week we're um, this half of the week I'm on break because we have a fall semester break where they give you two days off. And that's what I'm doing right now. So I've using, I'm using this opportunity and because I finished up another time-consuming obligation. So I'm using my additional time. I won't say free time. I'm using my additional time to re, uh, return to my German studies. I've been trying to teach myself German, and I, I use the Rosetta Stone program. And I'm, I'm currently got two different programs I'm using, one called Pimsleur, which is um, uh, it's just re, you know recording and you, it's it's not video. Okay. It doesn't use visuals like like Rosetta Stone does, but it's uh, very 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 helpful. It's just you just have to listen and repeat, listen and repeat, and it's kind of tedious. But learning a language is you know it's as good as it's going to get uh, right. for learning a language. At some point, it's just plain work, and right. you just got to yeah. do it. There's no other way yeah. around it. Yeah, and I'm using this other software called the Michael Thomas Method total German. And it's just listening to a guy, basically so far, it's just listening to a guy lecture about German grammar to a class. And hmm. that's fine because I need some of that too. I need to hear some grammar, uh, you know, instead of just simply repeating phrases like Tim Slur does. Okay. Gotcha. So, and, and my pronunciation is terrible. I have a hard time pronouncing German. Hmm. You'd think Did with you a ever... name like Stigmeyer, that would just be in your tongue. <laughs> uh, it's not, though. Yeah. Uh, there are some weird sounds in the German language. There are <laughs> this is people. true. Uh -huh. It always, it, you know, no matter what it is, it always sounds half like cussing, I think. Uh -huh. So, I mean, which is also true of Hebrew, frankly. So that true. was that was kind of how uh, how we got through Hebrew in college was sitting in the basement of the uh, of the dorm studying Hebrew up in the middle of the night, thinking of all of these uh, unrepeatable uh, mnemonic devices to remember Patsach or whatever it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, never, never go to pre-seminary students for piety. That's kind of a no, ongoing no. rule of thumb. So, and I, I, I noticed that Russian is a pretty good language to be angry in. Oh, I bet that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know Russian, but I've been to Russia, and to listen to people arguing in Russian is really kind of a treat. It's interesting. <laughs> it's a good language to be angry in. It's a beautiful language. Don't sure. get me wrong. 
But sure. it's a good language to express. Uh, it seems like a good language to express anger with. That's I, I, that's probably true. Yeah. Now I can also imagine in a totally different way that Italian would be good for very lively conversations because you've got unlike German where you have all of these you know really hard consonants and stuff. Italian is all about the vowels, so it's just going to sound very different. I don't know. We probably ought not ought not have a show on how to cuss in different languages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And we're using we're not trying to stereotype anybody. No, no, no. No. But uh, <laughs> let's uh we should probably just move on right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um this week I am uh, I'm still doing still doing Genesis with one group. We started Daniel with another group, which is always interesting and Ugh, you know, how, what do you do with the head of gold, the body of silver, the legs of iron and the feet of clay and iron and how symbolic do you want to go and all of that kind of stuff. That's really, I mean, it's so interesting. And of course, a part of what's interesting with Daniel today, I think, is that because it is so, um, because it's so set up in a kind of a pagan land. There are some really interesting parallels to being a Christian in today's society in a way that I don't think um, I don't think I thought of quite the same even twenty or twenty five years ago when I was studying it in seminary. So yeah, so that's kind of fun. It's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I like I like those apocalyptic sections of the Old Testament and, and the prophetic stuff. It it's challenging, but it's. Um, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's fun. To I was, see. I always feel like you'll interpret those things a little better if someone's holding a gun to your head. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> sure. really, they are kind of meant to be for the uh, for persecuted. the persecuted church. I mean, especially mm-hmm. Revelation, and and so it's almost like we're not uh, we haven't suffered enough to read those books. You, know, you think of how in the uh, uh, how how with the uh, Jews in the middle ages and, and earlier, even uh, you weren't allowed to read the song of Solomon until you were 30 years old. Maybe, right, uh, right. maybe we need to say you can't, you can't read revelation until you've actually been persecuted for the faith or something like that. Uh, That's probably a rule of thumb would be hard to enforce, but I, I think you're right. I, I think, think to so. understand it. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Well, we've got some fun, uh, some fun stuff to talk about here today. But before we get to the fun stuff, I want to uh, just take a moment to talk about the slightly less uh, less fun topic, and that is our ever-going topic of money. It typically costs us, I'm going to say, about $200 a year for all of the site hosting that we have to do for the crux of the matter. Now, that's not a whole bunch um, we occasionally have some equipment things that we need to do and stuff like that. So there's a little bit more. We try to keep this as lean as possible. But October is the month when we have to pay for all of our site hosting for the year. So if if you, dear listener, are of a mind and find some benefit in this show, please consider donating to the crux of the matter. Uh, all you have to do is uh, go to our website or look at the show notes for this episode, and you'll find a link that says donate. That will take you to a PayPal donation site. If 
you would rather not do it that way and want to do it in a more old-fashioned way, by all means, contact me, feedback at thecruxofthematter.net, and I will send you an address on where you can send a donation and how to do it and stuff. Uh, I'm just thinking a few bucks, nothing too, uh, nothing too dramatic here. But uh, if you would be able to help out, it would help these uh, two fellows quite a bit in our uh, ongoing budgets, and I'll definitely make our wives happy, at least mine. I'm going to guess that your wife would be happy with that, too. So, yeah, let's. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, every, I, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. So thank you in advance for anyone who's able to pitch in a bit. So it seems like on the news today, uh, and by today, I really mean the last six months, maybe a year. Uh, it's kind of impossible to avoid talking about politics and seeing American politics with uh, with the two most um interesting mm. candidates in in my memory at least one of them uh it just seems like like uh politics is on everyone's lips and this weird intersection of politics and morality yeah in a way that i don't remember that at least not the last time we had a serious you know 2008 I don't remember that being kind of a, a a big topic as we were looking at at the candidates. Have you do you know what I mean? Have you seen this uh, this weird intersection that I'm talking about? Well, I don't remember it in my you know I'm we're we're approximately the same age. I'm a, probably a year or two older than you, and um, I can't remember a presidential campaign that's been obsessed with this. I do remember a presidency that was obsessed. with Well, yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton in yep. office. Yep. I don't I don't know that how much of this was part of the campaign. I just don't recall. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like it was as as bitter and um, aggressive as this one has been in, in, from both sides. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he was impeached. So, it yeah, was, he was. That's I mean, true. That's that got fairly, bad. Right. fairly bitter, I would think. Yeah, that's, that's um, pretty bad. But you have these two candidates where. Uh, their opponents are holding up clear moral failings on both sides. And and the thing that I find so interesting, Scott, is, is kind of, you know, looking at Facebook and looking at Twitter and just kind of hearing conversations and stuff. I, I keep reading these people and, and people arguing, there's no way a Christian can vote for X because they're immoral yeah, or for Y. And, um, and it strikes me that this is a an interesting opportunity when it comes to pastoral care and let's say pastoral demeanor and approach to the modern modern political scene where i'm able as a pastor to speak on moral issues i mean i can read the 10 commandments and can kind of kind of look through that and 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 do that and maybe that's that's helpful but i fear that that can give an incomplete picture or a very one-sided picture of because this candidate has moral failings therefore you know they're they're out yeah yeah, I've had this conversation with people, and I try not to have political conversations with very many people. <laughs> right. Um, you know, not just because of my pastoral 
office, but it's, it's just not me so much, but, um, but we can talk about policies and, and, you know, and that can be, you know, we're not supposed to, and from the pulpit, at least, you know, the church isn't supposed to endorse candidates, which is, right. which is certainly fine. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but you know, we can speak about, we can speak about policies when we talk about the morality of a particular candidate. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me just, you know, from watching the conversation both on Facebook and the articles that are being written by Christ, prominent Christians in the right, U.S. Right. Um, you know, in everything from the Wall Street Journal with Eric Metaxas yep. to Christianity Today general editor, yep, and 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 um, and others um, really blasting each other um, over whether or not a specific candidate can be supported um, as a candidate because of certain moral allegations, which are pretty damning. Right, right, and. And of course, allegations are just that allegations does mm-hmm. that doesn't prove or disprove anything. But this as much as any campaign that I can remember is a case where uh, an accusation equals guilt. Mm-hmm. And if you can get a pile on of accusations, then that then that has moral weight, even if the person hasn't hasn't been formally accused of wrongdoing far less actually convicted um so so i guess that the thing that i find interesting as a pastor is is just thinking of some of the philippians language of whatever is true whatever is right whatever is noble etc think on these Mm. things uh thinking of the eighth commandment of trying to uh, explain everything in the kindest way or put the best construction on everything as we learned it um, mm-hmm. And and kind of painting this picture while at the same time having a, uh, I'll say, a prophetic voice mm-hmm. as a pastor, recognizing that uh, as a nation, our, we kind of get the candidates that we deserve, <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. yeah. and that there is uh, the, the morality of the nation is going to affect each one of us. And that's going to be true from top down. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, why are sports figures considered uh, role models? I don't know, because yeah. they aren't really very good role models, generally no. speaking. Um, no. And I, I don't think that political figures are considered role models anymore. They're almost anti-role models. Yeah, yeah, It's. I think you're right on that. I think it's been a long time since, probably since before Nixon you know, when, when people were, right. Um, you know, would be say that they admire those in the political side, you know, with exceptions. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that admired Ronald Reagan and, sure. and he didn't, you know, and there are a lot of people that admired Bill Clinton, even with his scandals. Right. Um, right. because of his particular gifts and right. abilities and well, whatnot. Kennedy, obviously. Kennedy. Um, yeah. And, who was um, also at least, you know, quite flawed. Right. As, mm-hmm. uh, as they all are. No, no yeah. question. So, so uh the christian church today living in the in the public square to use richard john newhouse's imagery there the christian in the public square has the ability in some capacity to uh influence our our nation politically uh and that that may be as individuals 
I suppose one question of how how does or how can or how should the church be addressing such issues? How does the and then how do I as a pastor? Um, I remember in my in one of my previous parishes uh, that that I had uh, a lot of very vocal political um, uh, political people. You know, people mm-hmm. that were high in both the local Democratic politics and Republican politics. And, okay. you know, and so they would come to the altar and they would commune together, but they would virtually never be able to talk to each other. Wow. And, and yeah. it struck me then, strikes me now, that, uh, that that's a perfect example of where, okay, so how do we as the church actually live together as the body of Christ and then sort of see how, you know, why is it that these people that presumably hold the same faith, have the same core beliefs can be so dramatically on different sides. Um, Yeah, that's a real pickle. And as a pastor ministering to these people, I feel like I have to constantly be on guard that what I say in public is not misconstrued as either political endorsement or as blanket condemnation. Right. Because is uh, Facebook the appropriate venue for me to have a blanket condemnation of my parishioners? No. I'm going to say no. Yeah. That's, no. that's not the right place. Um, and, and so that, I, I don't know. I think that requires an incredible delicacy on the part of pastors, but but somehow we have to do it in a way that doesn't mean we don't have convictions. Well, my two congregations that I served, one was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which of course is a swing state. Right. And um, uh, I I was also a pastor in the Chicago area, which is a highly politicized area. You know, there is. And uh, so, you know, so people really care about politics, as people do everywhere, but people really cared about politics. And I had people in my congregations that were probably on both sides of the aisle. We tried not to. I, I don't remember having quite like what you, a scenario like you described of having people that worked for political parties or worked for politicians in on both sides. But, um, you know, people had their views and, and, you know, it's 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 really tough. I mean, I. I have my views, and I think my my views sometimes I feel pretty strongly about. Right, and yeah, I'm with you. I mean, how do you, how you know, how do you walk that balance? And and you know, uh, to me, there are some issues that, uh, to you know, pardon the pun, trump other issues. But from other people's uh, that was yeah, terrible. I know, I know. <laughs> and people from other perspectives wouldn't, you know, it's just really because I would like to believe, Todd. I would like to believe that in America today. It's possible for Christians of good conscience to disagree about political parties, political candidates. And because because I do understand why someone would why a Christian would support the Democratic nominee. I do understand why a Christian would support the Republican nominee. Um, But it's it's getting harder to maintain. I find it's harder to be getting harder to maintain that. Yes, a Christian Christians of good faith, good conscience can can be on, can disagree, still be part of the body of Christ, but it's getting hard. It's just, some of the issues are getting so um, tied in with our confession. 
Right, right. And that is getting difficult to say. Well, look, these aren't just disagreements about um, foreign policy or disagreements about, um, you know, budgets and and taxation. Right. This isn't just economic theory. No, no. There's 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 moral issues at at stake here. And that's tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, abortion, euthanasia, many of the bioethical issues that we keep coming back to. Uh, same sex. They, right. Same right. Marriage, the whole thing with that, all of those are there. Now, I think because of all of the um all of the moral mudslinging, for lack of a better term, those issues, and really to some degree, any policy issues have almost taken taken a back seat. And which co- sort of creates a uh, creates an interesting dilemma because we may not even be aware of what the kind of what the issues are that or what the candidates believe on certain things. So that that in itself also becomes tough. So yeah. if you were if you were to give a young pastor uh, advice, let's say this is a new pastor, relatively new pastor that that is kind of going through his first presidential election as a pastor. So guys that have come out in the last four years. Yeah. What advice do you give them on how to approach approach these things with their congregation? Yeah, I don't I don't have real specific advice, nothing profound other than teach, you know, teach the two kingdom theory. That's what I did the last election is I talked about the two kingdoms, just, you know, Christian right. citizenship and, right. and, and civics and that kind of thing. Teach the, the, the doctrine of the two kingdoms. Um, but you know, you can inform and educate your congregation on all the issues. What, you know, you know, we want to be careful not to just cherry pick issues. Sure. Um, which, you know, but you know, like I said, at least my perspective is, and I think you might feel this way too, is that there are some issues that are heavier and more weightier than others. Sure. Sure. And, and, Right. So, I mean, teach the issues and, uh, you know, you, you really can't, you really can't get too, um, too explicit in terms of endorsing a specific candidate as a pastor. I mean, as a citizen, um, you know, I, cause I know pastors, you do too, who, you know, are more politically outspoken Um, and and they'll say, well, you know, as a citizen, you know, I can put a, a sign in my yard for a politician or, or, you know, work volunteer for a campaign and you can, but I'd be careful of doing that, wearing a collar, you know, doing that in, with, in a way that looks as if you're speaking for Una Sancta. Right. And honestly, I'm not sure that you can say I can do that as a citizen because mm-hmm. being a pastor is not simply what clothes you wear. It's not going to go away. Just right. It is not a nine to five job. It is an identity. It is a vocation. And so to, to be able to, yeah, I don't know that, that has always made me very uh, nervous. I'll say as a Mm -hmm. pastor. Now, a part of the reason why, why Lutherans can be sort of universally disliked or have this perceived quietism about politics is, is precisely because of our two kingdom teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, as compared to really with both Rome on one side and, and Calvinism. And I I think I'd even say the reformed, uh, in both of those cases, you have the notion that 
that the church is there to transform society. Oh, right. And and so that notion of of transformation of institutions is a is a real tricky one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think for the Lutheran, in what sense, for example, does the gospel transform an institution of government? Mm-hmm. Well, the gospel is not for the government; it's for individuals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's for people. So, right. so how those institutions are changed is not so simple. Um, but that I think that most people don't understand that. And so yeah. what yeah. they're going to see is, is this good or is this bad? And they're not going to really care about, you know, what kingdom are you talking about? First of all, we're Americans. We don't talk about kingdoms. That's, you know, that's somebody else's problem. So that uh, that really messes it up. And so maybe you're right that to start with having a conversation about about the two kingdoms and kind of understanding the place. You know, I think of uh, Luther's Luther's line about how he'd rather have a good a good Turk as a ruler than a than a and what is it? inept Christian and then an inept yeah. Christian. Right. Yeah. And does that apply in an election like this? Uh, how much you know, I look at a moral issue and think that is a uh, that is an indication of a person's trustworthiness, among other things. Mm-hmm. Sure. But um, but that's not an absolute indication, I suppose. So I guess this comes no. down to uh, right. this is a right. really hard time to be a pastor. And don't be surprised if uh, if you get bit on either being too involved or not involved enough, because each person's perception of that is going to be different. And that's the hardship. Right. Hmm. And, and in this and in this election, I mean, I, I think there's truth in saying that there are. Uh, issues at stake in this election that affect the life of the church in a greater way, at a greater magnitude than in recent elections. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps than in any election, you know, yeah. in, in the U.S.'s history. Yeah. Um, poss- possibly. Other than maybe the, the battle over slavery, you know, and, 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 you know, churches taking sides on that. Um, we, um, you know, there are, you know, yes, I wouldn't, I would, I would rather have a, a qualified, skillful Turk than a, an inept Christian, but not if that Turk's going to start beheading Christians as a matter of policy. Right. You know? really efficient at it. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I would rather have a jerk who's a Christian who's right. not going to murder my comrades. Right. Then, right. Uh, you know, so, so th- that's why it's so difficult is because, yes, uh, I think we lose either way. You know, I, I I think I think the church we are in a position with this election at least where only God knows um, what what the best answer is, yeah. and, um, and then that's where I come back. You know, I have a friend though. I have a friend who very interesting um, on Facebook. You know, is saying that that a particular candidate um, is God's instrument, and though very flawed. As God has used flawed instruments before, and and that's that's true, but um, I don't know. I'm just uncomfortable with that. I think that we have whomever is the president is there. You know, we believe Romans 13, right? And right. that this is God's this is God's minister in that in that place and time. 
Um, and it is, it, he, he or she is a very flawed, both are very flawed instruments, but it, it, it just strikes me that we lose on one way, in one way, if one candidate wins, we lose in a different way if the other candidate wins. Yep. Is right. kind of how I feel. About it. I think that's right. And I would be very hesitant. In fact, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't be hesitant. I would not say this candidate is God's instrument and that candidate isn't because yeah, I don't. I don't believe that I can speak for God in that capacity. I would be right. hard pressed to find uh, a biblical mandate for me as a pastor in the 21st century to be reading God's mind on which one he's going to use in what way. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, and you, you think of all of the secular rulers that God uses as instruments for all sorts of things throughout the scriptures, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Caesar, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius. Uh, I mean, you go down the list and you'll find these are all evil men um, mm -hmm. to a greater or lesser extent. And nobody, if you could have voted, if you could have voted between Herod and, and uh, Pontius Pilate or something like that. Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, what kind of vote is that? And how are yeah. you going to know? You can't know. So right. when it, again, when it comes to pastoral care, in my mind, it's how do we serve our neighbor, this two kingdom stuff, and mm -hmm. and the ongoing recognition that our hope lies in in the world to come and is never in this world. It's never in transforming this world into the next world. Because mm -hmm. that, again, is actually doing God's work there beyond what God has called me to do. Um, yeah, yeah, it's messy. Hmm. A, lot of, a lot of Christians have what, I, what we might call an over-realized eschatology. Yes. You know, yep. right? That they have this, this sense that the, the kingdom come is something that we can establish here. Right. Know? And you know, whether, they, whether they're really, um, you know— uh, post-millennial or pre-millennial or, or a-millennial, you know, but we do tend to think that way. I, but, you know, that's why, you know, we, at least some of our friends circle around back to this, what's the most loving to my neighbor, which, right. which path do I believe? And, you know, can, can, um, you know, can I articulate is the best one for serving and loving uh, my neighbor? And that's where the disagreement comes up. Right. And that's one where, frankly, there may be different answers. Mm -hmm. And that's sure. okay. Uh, you know, yeah. and it might depend on who my who my neighbor is, right? I mean, you know, and right. we know we know how Jesus answers that. And right. um, some, you know, it's very possible that one candidate will better serve one neighbor, and the other candidate would better serve a different neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's not just so easy, right? So it may quite literally be a matter of perspective how you're yes. looking at these things and who do you see as the neighbor that you are to care for? Yeah, that's right. That's very right. interesting. Now I, I also want to point out just so that this is now a matter of public record. And that is if the, if the phrase overrealized eschatology starts to show up in theological textbooks, we're going to call that a stigmirism. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I like that. I don't. I don't know if I coined it or not. But well, I. I, I, uh, I mean, we just established that. that you coined it. Yeah. I mean, I okay. voted on it. It must be true, <laughs> right? Right. Right. I don't. I don't know who else said it. So. Right. Well. 
I don't care. Now you said it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. on that note, we probably ought to just wrap that topic up entirely. Anybody else has any uh, uh, has any insights into this question of, of not which candidate? I mean, I guess you can write to Stigmire if you want to if you want to converse about that. But uh, I don't care what you think on that. Um, but on the topic of pastoral care and and politics, kind of how to approach this. Uh, as a pastor, if you've got some insights on that, you can set it as an audio note or as or write it up and send it to us. So I appreciate that we've had some feedback here of late, and that's been great. And I'd like to uh, like to get some more on that. You can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 63. And I would urge you to consider doing so. And uh, you can find us at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. If you want to drop us an email. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy, pray tell? Well, um, of late, um, I've really been enjoying the new HBO series, Westworld. Oh, yeah. As a kid, um, I really was a big fan of the 1973 movie starring Yul Brynner, you know, as the gunslinger in the movie Westworld written and directed by Michael Crichton. Okay. Right. And, um, and I just, before anybody really knew who he was, he'd done it. I think he'd maybe did Andromeda strain earlier or something like that. But, but um, you know, early in his, early in his career. Okay. So Westworld, I was a big fan of that, of the film. And now HBO is doing a series based on it. And they've had a couple of them, um, a couple of episodes already. I think that I think Friday's the day. I'm not sure what day the episodes come out, but as of yesterday, there were two episodes and they were um, they're very good. They're, they're different from the film. I just rewatched the film last night and just to kind of get the context again, but you know, the premise being that, and here's why, here's why I like it. It's more than just entertainment. Um, this, it raises, it begins to raise the question and the TV show does this much more than the movie does. Um, it really, it asks the question, is, you know, what is a person? Huh. What is a human? You know, is, um, you know, it be, it's beginning to ask the questions about artificial intelligence. What, you know, the, the, the Turing test that if you right. were to interact with a computer and couldn't tell it was a computer, is it a significant difference? You know, I, I've often used the illustration that if I gave you a sweetener and told you it was sugar and I gave you an artificial sweetener and said that this is artificial, but they taste exactly the same. Do you care then which one has sugar in it and which one is the artificial, you know, or, the, and they both have the same properties of it, you know, right, other, right. Gain, whatever, but one of them is man-made. One of them synthetic, and, one of them's natural, uh-huh. organic, right? Right, right, right. But, but, but in terms of all their traits, you can't, you can't distinguish anything between the two. So, um, that's, you know, that's kind of a philosophical question that I think is very interesting. And a lot of films and science fiction have dealt with this, especially in the last few years. Ex Machina came out a couple of years ago with right, this right. whole question. And that's what that's what Westworld has done, because they're 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 have they've created androids, um, artificial artificial humans. And they create sort of this resort where you go and, you know, where people can go, you pay and you. And you pretend like you're in the old West, but then people fall in love and people kill other, you know, other entities. Is it, is it murder when you strike one of these things down? Right. Is it, you know, is it adultery when you have sex with one of them? Um, you know, I mean, these are, uh, 
you know, maybe not the most important questions in the world right now, but I think they're interesting philosophical questions. What's a person? Sure. Sure. Well, I, um, my joy bringer in a completely different vein, sort of, uh, sort of address yeah. that question too. Um, my joy bringer is the book Dogma and Preaching by Cardinal Ratzinger, also known as Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, this is one of our textbooks for my for my class at Aquinas, and um, obviously with a title like Dogma and Preaching, you're you're going to think that this is a a pretty heavy book, and it's definitely weighty in the sense that uh, you're dealing with serious topics and such. The kind of the meat of the book is a series of essays where where he that that um, Ratzinger wrote in the early 1970s, so ten years after Vatican II, basically, and and he writes a series of essays looking at various um, various positions of dogma of the teaching of the Church um, in how they had changed and been good, bad, ugly, etc. from Vatican II to then. And then how that affects the preaching and the ongoing life of the church. That's why we're reading the book. Um, if you have never read any Ratzinger, get thee to a bookstore. Um, he is a, a fascinating thinker and writer. You have to get into this sort of German mindset because he is very German. That's for sure. You'll have occasionally a paragraph that goes on for three pages. Um, but he is absolutely brilliant. One of the things that uh, that fascinated me about this book was that none of the, um, I'll say, Luth Lutheran radar issues really come up in kind of an obvious way in this book. Mm. There's no talk about mm. purgatory. There's no talk about indulgences. Um, there's barely any talk about um, about prayers, prayers to the saints or Mariolatry. Um, it, there's there isn't any I would say direct conversation even about justification. Um, he has a lot of of work on what I would call uh, creedal Christianity. A um, lot of talk about creation. A lot of talk about the nature of redemption. A couple fantastic essay, essays on the resurrection of the body. Um, and he has an interesting section on the incarnation and its implications for anthropology. Um, and it's in that section that he has a, a really fascinating discussion about personhood. And, mm -hmm. and, and he argues that you can see in the Christological controversies and the, the rise of the use of persona prosopon um, in, in the Christological controversies that personhood means is a relational term, not an ontological term that the notion of personhood has to do with your interaction with others. Um, and I mean, that's a real short little, mm -hmm. little thought on it, but that utterly fascinated me because we have tended, I think, to think of personhood as some, as what separates you from others, <laughs> mm -hmm. as this mm -hmm. is what makes you unique. Um, he's arguing that it's kind of sort of the opposite that it's only in relationship to others that you actually are person. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just one tiny little bit, but I have, I do not remember enjoying reading a book as much as this one uh, for a long time. It's really great. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've read some 
of Ratzinger's essays. I may have read one of the ones you referred to. Um, I have not read the book. Yeah. I have read one of the volumes. He's got a book. He's got a series, like I think it's three volumes on the life of Jesus. Yep, sure does. And, and I and I read one of those, and right. and it's it's he's not easy reading. I mean, he's certainly and maybe maybe it's, it's this other book is you know, maybe they're different in, in in that respect. I didn't find his book easy reading. I didn't find it inscrutable, but it was it was challenging and very very insightful, very scholarly. Yeah. And the, the man is man is um, uh, really a brilliant theologian. Yeah, I agree. And I would and I would put that this in the category of um, dense, but not mm-hmm. not in the sense of dumb, but dense no. in the sense of there's a lot packed into little bits. This is almost okay. more helpful though because these are really a series of essays. So I'm not sure if there was any anything in here that was more than ten or twelve pages. So that kind of gives it to you in much more bite-sized pieces uh, rather than a three-volume series or something. So Yeah, no, that helps. Yeah, Dogman, Dogman helps. Preaching, I would uh, highly recommend it for uh, some good stimulation of the brain. So, my friend, Sounds anything great. else uh, that you want to say to our dear listeners before we close up? No, no, I'm... I'm uh... Making a note right now to buy dogma and preaching. All righty. Very good. And I'm making a note right now to try to convince my wife to for us to get HBO. Um, I think you'll be more yeah, successful than months. I will. For a couple months, maybe. <laughs> and on that yeah. note, we will uh, see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Yes. Goodbye.